The Hamlet Podcast, episode 33. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanretty. We left last time with the revelation not only that Hamlet's father has been murdered, but that the culprit, the serpent who has been reported to have caused his death, is in fact Hamlet's uncle, Claudius. Hamlet's response to this information bears repeating here. Oh, my prophetic soul, he exclaims, my uncle. At some level, he knew it. Shakespeare's depiction of Claudius thus far has been entirely moderate, a concerned, efficient ruler whose only apparent crimes are a lack of taste in marrying Gertrude so quickly, and indeed a fondness for the demon drink. I'm always interested in how Claudius comes across in his early scenes before it's revealed that he's a murderer. The temptation is surely there to play him as an oily villain from the outset, but Shakespeare is definitely subtler than that. Of course, we could take all of this analysis a step further and wonder whether this ghost is indeed trustworthy. Hamlet himself will spend a good deal of the play wrestling with this very question, mind you. So for now, we can take him at face value. Already we've seen that he's a pragmatic, sensible ghost who addresses Hamlet very much like a concerned parent. He's shown up with a clear awareness of the time available, and rather than indulging in Hamlet's pity for him, he insists that this isn't what he needs. He needs revenge. Having made the big reveal, he now begins an extended speech that will take us through this episode and at least the next one, giving all the details of Claudius's dreadful crime. I, that incestuous, that adulterate beast, with witchcraft of his wit, with traitorous gifts, oh, wicked wit and gifts that have the power so to seduce, won to his shameful lust the will of my most seeming virtuous queen. Whether this is a good ghost or a bad ghost, he's certainly a clever one. He begins his catalogue of Claudius's misdemeanours with the one thing that has distressed Hamlet already, the marriage between Claudius and Hamlet's mother. Any smart speaker knows to get their audience on side by playing to their own opinions. Whether it's Shakespeare being clever or the ghost having a supernatural ability to know what's going on in Hamlet's mind, there's a great power to this echoing of Hamlet's own expressed opinions. The ghost doesn't mince his words and calls Claudius an incestuous beast. Hamlet has inferred a similar opinion earlier, mentioning the incestuous sheets his mother is now sleeping on. The ghost heightens the indiscretion by calling Claudius adulterate also causing endless debate among readers and interpreters of the play. The basic meaning of the word adulterate means corrupted or not pure. But Shakespeare doesn't use words by accident, and so there's an angry inference here from the ghost that perhaps Gertrude and Claudius were involved even before the former king was murdered, and that this was adultery too. This has significant impact on Gertrude's position then. Did she know about the murder? Or was she perhaps involved in it? We'll have to talk a lot about Gertrude and the ghost's opinion of her as we move through this scene, and indeed whether or not he really thinks she's guilty too. And yes, all of this from one little word. But for now he's focused on Claudius, who has, with that efficient gift of the gab he showed earlier, seduced to his shameful lust the will of his most seeming virtuous queen. Here again, there's a glimmer of just how smart Shakespeare can be. Hamlet has already held forth to his mother about his discomfort with seeming, 
and now the ghost lands a dig that she herself was perhaps only seeming virtuous. All of this richness goes by very quickly when it's performed on stage, but it's all in there. Perhaps we don't even realise why we trust the ghost and his story implicitly, but it's woven into the fabric of the language. Shakespeare also loves making puns with his own name. Will appears quite often with the meaning of sexual desire, particularly in the sonnets, when he has some gleefully raunchy puns on the subject. Here there's no particular joke, but it's worth noting that Will would have had a more sexual inference than our more temperate modern meaning of inclination or desire. The ghost seems also to be troubled by Claudius's gifts, traitorous gifts, wicked wit and gifts. These might be interpreted as his natural abilities for charm and seduction, but it seems a bit weird to me at least that the ghost would harp on about his brother's talents. While I am sometimes suspicious of stage directions since they can be the contested terrain of later editors and interpolators, in this instance it's worth mentioning that the dumb show, which we'll come to in about 50 episodes from now, contains a description of the fictional king seducing the fictional queen with various gifts. So, perhaps it's a more literal set of gifts that Claudius uses to win Gertrude out of her mourning. We'll have more on that anon, but for now, like Hamlet did, the ghost laments the difference between Gertrude's two husbands. Oh, Hamlet, what a falling off was there! From me, whose love was of that dignity, that it went hand in hand even with the vow I made to her in marriage, and to decline upon a wretch whose natural gifts were poor to those of mine. Hamlet has quipped earlier that the brothers are no more comparable than he himself is like Hercules. The father then makes a longer comparison, starting it with calling it a falling off, a significant drop in standards. The contempt is palpable. When Horatio and the watchman were discussing the dead king, we got a sense of the old medieval world of courtly knights and of chivalry. The ghost echoes this here, discussing how virtuous and true his love and marriage vows had been. And for her now to decline, descend back down the ladder to Claudius, who he calls a wretch, whose natural gifts were poor in comparison with his. We get a clarification here. He's already discussed his seduction, gifts that were handed over, and now his natural ones. There's a clear sense that Hamlet Sr. thinks he outranks and outclasses his brother Claudius in just about every way. He now moves on to Gertrude. But virtue, as it never will be moved, though lewdness court it in the shape of heaven, so lust, though to a radiant angel linked, will sate itself in a celestial bed and prey on garbage. The meaning here is a little tricky to unravel, but the impact is very clear. Just as virtue will never be seduced, even if lewdness did its best disguised as someone from heaven, so lust could sate itself with the brightest angel in a heavenly bed and still go hunting for garbage, looking for more. Poor Gertrude really doesn't come off very well in this analysis, and you'll note that the ghost is kind of suggesting that he's an angel. We'll see. Lust has cropped up twice already in this speech. First, Claudius's shameful lust as he wooed Gertrude, and now lust as the opposite of virtue in this damning comparison. If she were virtuous, she'd never have been moved. But she has, says the ghost, gone the way of lust. I think it's a bit unfair to damn Gertrude so quickly. Expediency, loneliness, heartbreak, concern for Hamlet's succession, 
Any number of these might have been on her mind, as well as the lust the dead king tars her with. And of course, she might be a co-conspirator who wanted him dead so that she could marry her beloved Claudius. These are all options, and all can be valid readings of the text. Perhaps we've got a little sidetracks, but certainly the ghost has himself. He started speaking to Hamlet with an urgent concern for how much time he has, and now Shakespeare gives him a little reminder, and he says, But soft, methinks I sent the morning air. Brief let me be. Somehow I think there's a great sadness to the ghost getting even a hint of the morning air on the way. The fires of purgatory that he has mentioned must make a stark contrast to whatever quiet air that might be wafting across the battlements of his former castle. Knowing that he's not got much time left, he gets back on track and finally gets down to the dirty details. But since I, like he, have just about run out of time, we'll save that until the next episode. I'm really thrilled to tell you that we've now passed over 10,000 listens from over 60 countries. Thank you so much for tuning in wherever you are. It's a thrill to have you out there. For even more Hamlet and Shakespeare-related goodness, you can follow us on Twitter, at Hamlet Podcast, or find and like the page on Facebook, or indeed, swing by thehamletpodcast.com. I'll talk to you next week.